Hello, I'm your host Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by CityLets. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch direct, just reach out. Let's Talk at citylets.co.uk. Today my guest is Jonathan Gordon, director at Clan Gordon. Morning. Morning. Now, you founded Clan Gordon with your brother Andrew in 2008, hence the company name. However, let's backtrack and tell us a bit more about your journey prior to Clan Gordon, because rumour has it you signed the Official Secrets Act, which I normally associate with possibly national security. But for you, it was to do with potatoes. It was to do with potatoes, yeah. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do when I um, failed all my hires at school and then had to reset them at Stevenson. I know why you re- you failed. I was, I was actually at school with yeah, Jonathan, you were. and um, yes, I think um, you were off quite a few dates, weren't you? I think it was more um, conversation within the class you excelled at. I was good at conversation <laughs> within the class. I was good at being late um, for the class for no particular reason. Mm-hmm. Um, used to disappear between classes, I think. Yeah. And I was usually the teacher's favourite. Yeah, you were always I, at the front. At the I front, remember, yeah. yeah, you were always. Almost sitting on the teacher's knees. Under so. the control, yeah, particularly <laughs> yes. in primary one. Blanked out quite a bit of school. Um, but yeah, but so I I, um, I did get all my hires and then I went to university, but I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I you know, applied to be a manager at um, the training scheme at Marks and Spencer's at Presto. Um, mm-hmm. before we got Gosh, Tesco. remember Presto? Yeah. Um, and then I did end up doing agriculture. Yes. Um, and just because my uncle was a farmer, I um, quite like the idea of being outdoors. And then one of my first jobs when I left um, and graduated from Aberdeen was um, in the Scottish Agricultural College and then I got a job with the Scottish Government. And yeah, it was, uh, I got a, a, a job as a seed potato inspector. Ah, and so Scotland okay. is, is um, one of the few places in the world where, where high quality seed potatoes are grown and then exported to other countries to be grown into more potatoes. And, so, and hence the Official Secrets Act. Yeah, just because we had a card and we could... So we had a, an official ID card that we could we could stop boatloads of seed potatoes going off to Turkey or Cyprus or wherever they were going right. to head off to if if they, if they found disease in them. So we had an official capacity, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so. so, but you also... Didn't you work for Michael Page in London? Is that right? Yeah, so I qualified as a chart surveyor with Savills mm-hmm. first... Um, after my job at the government, and then uh, that was in rural practice, so managing country right. estates. And then um, I went, so I guess I did my gap year when I was 30. Mm-hmm. So people talk about gap year now. I did that when I was 30, so a bit later. I did mine when uh, I was 26, so quite similar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when I came back, somebody was going to London and they got a job in recruitment. And right. I worked for Michael Page in recruitment. And um, it was good fun, but um, I'm not sure it could have survived much more than a yeah. couple of years in London. So what were your reasons for setting up Clan Gordon then? I think, so I started doing up a couple of flats with my brother, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And um, I already had an awareness of what was happening in the letting world in Edinburgh. And just that there wasn't a particularly, um, letting it didn't have a very good reputation. So we were both thinking about what else we could do. I'd had jobs in big companies like Michael Page and then Vodafone after that. 
and just fancied working for myself and thinking about what we could do. And Andrew had worked in Scottish Widows for 25 years straight from school and he was a bit fed up with that as well. So we came up with this um, plan to become letting agents. Mm -hmm. And um, as a chart surveyor, um, most letting agents are unregulated or were unregulated at that time, maybe 100 plus letting agents and only four or five companies, which are firms of surveyors, by default would be regulated by the RICS and maybe another 10 or so in Edinburgh, um, which would be regulated by Arla. Mm -hmm. And we just saw a gap in the market for a good professional company. Right. In fact, you were chair, weren't you, of the PRS forum within RICS and you were heavily involved with the upgrading of the repairing standard, which as we know is a required basic level of repair that all private rented properties must meet. So what was your exact involvement within? Well, as a surveyor, you, you remember the RICS, and I was quite frustrated with the lack of involvement of the RICS in, mm -hmm. in what we were doing. They were more involved in, uh, I was on the residential group board for residential, but they really only talked about home reports. Um, which you need for sale and they didn't really think about letting or, or anything and that market was a growing market so it was something that more surveyors could could be involved in and provide a bit more professionalism in the sector but they weren't doing anything for it so there was an opportunity to become chair of the private rented sector forum within the residential part of RICS and once I got into that role I did quite a lot of campaigning with the Scottish Government we met with um, ministers on a regular basis and tried to get them to improve particularly um, the requirements for electrical safety checks in properties. So in 2006, the repairing standard had quite a basic requirement with a requirement for one main smoke alarm uh, in the hall of properties, but not really anything else beyond the usual requirement for a gas safety. And we'd from the start done electrical safety checks because there's a duty of care that the landlord should have. Mm -hmm. um, so you should really be doing these checks, but nobody was saying in black and white that you have to have them. So from there, consultations, giving evidence in Parliament to committees um, and representing the RICS, the, it was eventually extended to require the electrical safety checks, multiple smoke alarms, mm -hmm. carbon monoxide alarms in properties. Um, and I think the RICS was certainly quite influential in, in that and hopefully yeah. I played my part. Okay, because well. McLean Gordon actually is regulated by both RICS and ARLA. So what does that mean to your clients? Well, um, I think when we first started, that was quite unusual. And we, um, the RICS um, required us to have a proper client account so that the money that we hold on a client, a landlord or a tenant's behalf, belongs to that person. And we have to keep a proper ledger showing who that money belonged to. Um, we had to process invoices in a particular way. We had to have training for ourselves and our staff. And um, we had to abide by a code of practice, so rules of conduct for firms such as ethical and, uh, and, and so on, and, and particular things within our contracts with our um, clients would be explicit about fees. And the, the, the lettings market being fairly unprofessional at that stage, that was quite unique. And so landlords who wanted to do the right thing for the tenants and protect themselves would, would certainly join us. And, and some mm -hmm. examples recently of, of where that um, is relevant. So a letting agent, uh, which is quite well known, went bust CMC. It's, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's um, not a secret now. So they went um, um, bust at some point uh, last year. And we took clients over from there who had, some of them had... Um, four or five properties and they lost thousands of pounds 
because the company didn't have a proper client account. Mm. And if, if um, they had had a proper client account, then some of that money would have been protected. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that you feel actually on average that there's a considerable amount of poor accommodation within the private rented sector. Can you expand a bit more on your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's quite common within any mm-hmm. part of society to say, you know, 99% of children learn to read, 99% of children live in a good home, or 95% of people have good um, phone reception um, from their mobile phone. So the same applies in, in lettings, but it's 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 much more important because this is all about where somebody lives. So I think there are, um, I, I don't know the exact numbers now, but there, there's about 380,000 um, maybe heading for 400,000 um, rented properties in the private rented sector in Scotland and 10% of those, so 90% of, mm-hmm. of the tenants are satisfied with their accommodation. So that sounds good, but actually that's 36 or 40,000 uh, tenants who are not satisfied and might have. So you could have a huge number of, of tenants who, have, who are living in properties where there's damp, um, landlords are not doing the right thing, letting agents are not doing the right thing, and quite often we find that letting agents are not doing the right thing for their tenants or for their, and their landlords are not aware of that. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things we were frustrated about because the, most tenants tend to pay their rent or the, their tenancy would be ended. And so the, as long as the landlord's receiving the rent, they're just unaware perhaps that the property's not been maintained. And perhaps they should be aware of that if carpets haven't been replaced for 15 or 20 years, they should maybe think about that, but they're relying on their letting agent to do the right mm-hmm. thing and tell them if things need to be replaced. Now, I think, you know, if there are 40,000 unhappy tenants, um, the number's much higher for families living in accommodation because they're perhaps fussier mm-hmm. and requiring good quality carpets for their, for their or furniture or conditions for their children. Mm-hmm. And they're not the young students who don't really care about damaged carpets because that partly means that nobody will notice the damage that they do if they have a party. So mm-hmm. it's much more important to families and that's become a much bigger part of the yeah, sector. So I think only 70,000, sorry, 70% of families living in PRS in Scotland are satisfied. And, and um, that's a, a hugely significant um, problem, I think. So is this something that when you acquire properties that you have a thorough inspection throughout the, the flats or the houses and then do you insist on these um, a certain level of requirements within the properties that you take on yourselves then? Yeah, we do. And most landlords um, are, are happy with that. Mm-hmm. So if we go and see 10 landlords in a month and f- f- you know, and we tell them, that they have to put new carpets or new sofas in or new curtains or something else to improve the property. They generally go with that. And if mm-hmm. we prove that we're the best agent for them, then they'll, they'll come with us and they'll do that work. It's not uncommon for other agents to come and quote at the same time and say, and then the tenants, the, the landlords, even if they come with us, will quote back to us that the other, other agent have said, well, we'll still get you the same amount of rent, but we don't think you need to replace the carpets. And I think there's just a general expectation that tenants don't need such a good standard um, or, um, you know, there's a shortage of rental accommodation. And, and so if, if your carpets are not brand new, then a tenant will take it. And mm-hmm. sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll pay the same amount mm-hmm. or sometimes they're desperate because they can't pass the same reference checks that other tenants will pass. So they'll take poorer quality accommodation. And that's certainly one thing we've found in taking properties over from other agents is that um, there's just a lot less focus on, on the quality of accommodation and caring about the, the condition for the tenants. Okay. But it's not necessarily the, the landlord's fault. It's, it's sometimes just the agent giving bad yeah, advice. They, 
the landlord uh, needs to be better and advised. And not looking after the property, yeah. Okay, well, moving over to the, the um, side of the new PRT, which came into force in December 2017. What are your thoughts on this new tenancy agreement compared to the previous short assured tenancy? Well, as well as um, being involved in the repairing standard being upgraded, um, I was on the original, um, I can't remember if it was called a committee or a panel, right. but with the Scottish Association of Landlords, um, solicitors that are involved in lettings, um, shelter and other bodies, I was on the original panel representing the RSES, deciding whether there should be a new type of tenancy regime. And there was a proposal put forward which I supported to the Scottish Government to change the tenancy regime on the basis that the old one was quite old-fashioned, the paperwork was complicated and confusing for landlords and tenants, and something much simpler could, could come out. But unfortunately, well, well some, some of the, the, the ideas around um, the new type of tenancy were good, but the um, consultation around it was okay, but the, there, were, there were multiple changes made at the last minute which were not subject to consultation, such as the getting rid of the, the minimum period. So there was, mm -hmm. there was no consultation on that, and that was a last-minute change which fundamentally affected the, the type of tenancy that it was. Right, okay. So then what is your what what is your perception then of the consultation process since the last one then that preceded the PRT? Um, you know, just as you've mentioned, I've heard other agents say that they felt they actually hadn't been listened to. Do you share this view? No, I think they were listened to, but a government has to have a policy. Uh, and um, I think they made a lot of adjustments mm -hmm. to the PRT. So the, the grounds for eviction are pretty comprehensive. So mm -hmm. there is there is no landlord um, that should um, be concerned about the grounds for eviction because okay. actually for the first six months they can actually get rid of tenants much easier mm -hmm. than they could before if they've got a valid reason. The um, the grounds for eviction regarding rent are much straight, more straightforward and clearer and it's more difficult for tenants to hold off and hold off by paying bits of rent here and there. So I think it's, um, if the tenant's been you know, behind on their rent mm -hmm. consistently for a period of time, it's much easier to the victim than it was before. And um, all the other grounds that you could potentially need to use, such as moving back in yourself or selling it, seem to be quite straightforward. Okay, so, um, so what, I guess, sorry. I was just going to say, I guess my, my problems with the minimum period are, are twofold. One is that um, we've had tenants, we've taken over properties where students have moved in in September, and as soon as we've taken it over from another agent, the landlord actually evicted the tenants in one of those properties to sell it. Mm -hmm. So that's in March. But that leaves those um, poor students without a home yeah. for the rest of that year. And um, we're having void periods on the converse side of that, the other side of that, where we've, we've been able to let student properties consistently from September to September for students they want it. Uh, they, they want to rent it by the year, they don't want to be tied in forever, they don't mm -hmm. want to have, to have this ability to stay forever. And actually we're having tenants moving out of properties at random points in the year and then those properties are void, so it's not helping either side. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the, there are particular things that uh, mistakes were made. One is removing the minimum period so that we couldn't treat students differently because they are different. Mm -hmm. And um, the other one is um, on the tenant side, landlord's ability to end the tenancy um, far too easily um, in the first six months, particularly. Okay. Well, what do you feel then are the main benefits to tenants since the new PRT? 
I think, well, the benefits could be that everything is much clearer in terms of their rights, but unfortunately the paperwork that was produced is far too complicated. So um, I think it's because of um, the, um, the, requ the requirement to allow landlords to make their own contracts they ended up with a model tenancy which doesn't have to be followed. So you, could, you have a model tenancy by the Scottish Government, but let, landlords can write their own as long as they comply with certain parts of the Act. But then that means that there's two different types of tenancy. One is defined, one is undefined, and then there are different guidance notes for the tenants depending on which one it is. Mm -hmm. and, and they're far too long. So the tenancy document, the model tenancy is far too long. There's a huge, big, waffly series of paragraphs at the start that the tenants will never get past and landlords will never read that either so neither party will understand the rights properly because the, the paperwork is far too complex and that was one of the primary drivers for changing the tenancy was to produce simpler paperwork and I think because of all that the simple notices to leave that are formal looking documents saying exactly why you must leave and exactly why the landlord needs it back will be misunderstood by tenants so they feel like they have to leave much more than they did with the notices or 86s that they had in the past for breach of tenancy. If the landlord says that they're going to renovate it and then they're just going to, I don't know, put a new bath or a shower in, that's not necessarily a reason for ending a tenancy, but they'll be able to use that reason if they want to end don't, the tenancy with those don't tenants. Don't they have to prove that it will actually be uninhabitable? Only if it's challenged. And how often is it challenged? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Right, okay. That's something that the first tier tribunal could answer. But to me, when, when we're issuing notices for genuine reasons, mm -hmm. where, we, you know, there's a, there's a, a big problem um, with, the, with the bathroom, like an insurance repair job, and we really can't get the property back without right. having to rip up the floors and, and everything else, then that then leads to a big renovation of the property. Then um, it just seems too simple to issue these notices mm -hmm. and, and open to abuse and... I don't think because tenants don't understand their rights because the legislation has not been laid out clearly enough, then I think it's um, going to lead to a lot of tenants being evicted without understanding their rights so that they shouldn't have been evicted. Okay, interesting point. So what, um, I mean, not only do you champion the high standards in the private rent sector, but you're interested, I know, in the political direction of policy surrounding the sector um, Polly McNeil, MSP, has recently launched a consultation on her proposed Mary, ba Mary Barber Bill, as they're calling it. So how do you feel about the measures being proposed? I think there's a continuing um, problem with the um, affordability of housing in the UK, across the UK. And Scotland has attempted to deal with that with the PRT. Um, but the rent control measures within that are unusable. They're not really fit for purpose as far as I can tell because there isn't the data there to back up the actions that the local councils could take. Um, I think um, the fundamental problem with housing and affordability is not has got nothing to do with the rental market or what landlords do. So we talk to landlords about investing in property all the time and we calculate yields on properties mm -hmm. that they might buy. And the yields are roughly the same between 4 and 6%, depending on the type of property and the location of the property, not on the um, actual value of the property. It generally tracks a particular type of property in Leith will get a particular rental yield, and that's, that yield hasn't changed for the last few years. Whereas rents have gone up a lot, mm -hmm. property prices have gone up a lot, and that's why, that's why um, 
that's why I think the, the, the problem is to do with the cost of property and not the um, the rents that are charged by landlords because it tends to track the property value, the capital value. Mm -hmm. So I think the the government acro governments across the UK are, are tackling the wrong problem because the main problem is far too complicated and they're not, they're not willing to, to tackle it. I mean, there's certainly yeah, a lot of factors to um, rental values. I mean, also, how do you feel about all the tax changes in recent years, obviously since 2015? Do you feel that's contributed to what landlords may want rent level-wise? So uh, they've got tighter margins there now? No, I don't see that. I think anybody that, that I think most people that own a property that's rented out um, are generally in a good position. I think the tax changes are going to be are, are problematic for new accidental landlords, as mm -hmm. I would call them. So, but that also includes people who can just scrape together enough for a deposit. They maybe don't have a good company pension, and then they can get a buy-to-let property. They are going to be hit. You know that loads of our first hundred landlords were people who um, moved out of the flat into a bigger house, held onto the flat mm -hmm. and rented it out. Now with the additional New stamp, stamp duty, duty. Um, they can't do that and th that's because they would have to pay the additional stamp duty on their new home. Now um, the um, that just pushes um, them out of the market mm -hmm. but I think replacing them are investors who've got who are cash rich and have benefited from other things in in the economy that have helped them to become in that position to, to get to that position and then they're investing in properties the tax changes in terms of income tax and allowing the offsetting of interest i think mm -hmm. that that affects the same people adversely and because if you go for a company mm -hmm. and put your property in a company there's a cost and a complication and on a risk involved in that mm -hmm. that people don't understand that if they're just a uh somebody looking for a, a wee pension pot for themselves, they're not going to think or want to set up a limited company that's going to need audited accounts every year. Mm -hmm. Whereas an investor who is, um, I guess, wealthier mm -hmm. and um, and more able to think about that sort mm -hmm. of thing, maybe they've got an accountant already. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. setting up a limited company is quite easy for them. So I think it's two, those two things are pushing your, your normal... Mm -hmm. landlord that we see which is just somebody that just happens to get enough to, together to own a flat or keep a flat pushing them out of the market but I don't think it's affecting no. um, but the, obviously supply and demand is a huge contributing factor as well to rent levels because obviously people know that the, the demand is there and that they can charge a higher amount and, and they will still get plenty of tenants interested, how do you feel about that side of things You know, overall rather than just the selling price itself well, I, I think the market rent is, is, is quite easy to measure using the guides, things like mm -hmm. the, the, the research done by CityLets. I think the, um, the research reports show exactly what's happened with rents and um, I think any fair landlord or letting agent will follow that yeah. kind of guidance when they're trying to set the rents, both mm -hmm. for new rents and for rent reviews. I think um, one of the things the PRT and the new tenancy has, has done as well has made more landlords and letting agents think about increasing the rent on existing tenants um, every year mm -hmm. um, to try and keep track with the market rent, whereas in the past it was more likely that you would just change the rent when the tenant changed over. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I, I think that the, the rents are not high compared to to the price of the property, and that's the thing I just have to come back to when you look at it economically. Yeah. And the problem is with the the land and, and housing market, mm-hmm. not with the rental market and and greedy landlords, as people like to think. Yes. They're just a symptom. Is it a symptom? I guess they're a symptom of the of the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, moving on to another side in the actual your actual um, setup of Clan Gordon with your brother Andrew, because I remember you two not actually liking each other at school. <laughs> so, obviously, there's some challenges that you must face working with family, particularly your brother, because you're one of four. Um, and um, yes, I remember you and Andrew at school more in particular because you were more both ages with myself. So tell me, what, what challenges do you and Andrew face working together and just other challenges in general? All right. Uh, well, um, I think at the start we, we seemed to have the same ideas about how we would set it up. Mm-hmm. And then I guess there's probably a number of occasions in the first few years <laughs> where we would fall out. Um, but you know, because it's your brother, you could, well, you could swear at each other, yeah, and then come in the next day, and grunt at each other and carry on, as you were before. So, um, I, I think it's been quite good to bounce off each other. Although we're mm-hmm. brothers, we're not really very similar in terms of how we do stuff. So I'm quite fast moving, and mm-hmm. you would say entrepreneurial, but that's not saying that Andrew's. Uh, is missing that factor it's mm-hmm. it's just I've got a lot of energy for new ideas and doing things and then if I did everything that I thought of doing um, at the speed that I wanted to do it then you know we could spend all our money on marketing and, yeah. and have no money left well actually that connects to something I was going to ask you um, later on about because you've mentioned a book by Gino Wickman Traction that you feel you can really identify with his theories um, which talks about when you've got a company with two leaders. So tell us a bit more, because we talked about this before one time. Yeah, so I, I think um, most people have set up their own company or worked in a, in a senior role in a company. I've at least tried or people have asked them or suggested reading these management guru-style books, leadership books. And at Vodafone, certainly um, in the leadership team there, you, you were given these books to read, actually. And, you know, they they use kind of... It's all a bit um, airy-fairy. Right. Um, when I tried reading them before, but a friend of mine, Chris Wood, who... Portolio, you've yes. Had the po- you've had him on your podcast before. Uh-huh. He was a letting agent, and he's very thoughtful about how he sets up and runs his companies, and um, he's read a lot of management books. And there's one in particular that he mentioned that um, I thought I would give it a go because I'm driving in from North Berwick every day, I've got at least an hour and a half in the car every day there, there and back, and um, I give it a go. So traction, and it does use a lot of the things that you maybe puts you off these books, like it talks about enterprise operating systems and and um, having core focuses and mm. values and things. But actually, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's pretty good, and it l- ends up this book lays out essentially how to set up your targets and to-do lists and how you tie them in with your weekly and quarterly meetings. So I think it's probably quite common that people have meetings in companies and they, they never really achieve much or they, they end up just talking about one thing. And what this does is it, it focuses your mind on what you're actually trying to do, what you want your staff to do and how to measure that and then how to have meetings that are, that are successful. 
and um, we've only been reading it and using it for about six weeks now and it's a phenomenal thing it has just transformed our weekly meetings into just getting to the things that you actually need to discuss and then when you discuss them don't go off in tangents to talk about anything else you talk about that until it's you identify what it is and then you and then you work out how you're going to solve it and um, so that's going pretty well and one of the things it starts off by doing it has examples and they've actually got another book where they run through a whole example company and you know there are two people in the organisation um, if there are two people running a company it's usually one of them's a visionary and one of them's an int- integrator as they call it and the visionary is just the guy that comes up with loads of ideas and, and um, almost too many ideas but some of them would be really good and then the integrator is the one that maybe holds them back and keeps them on an even keel. So that might be the kind of management accountant sort of person. And the other one's the entrepreneurial go-getting type of person. And that seems to fit in with um, me and Andrew a wee bit in terms of I've got lots of crazy ideas about what to do. <laughs> and some of them are, you know, um, good ideas and some of them are bad ideas. And Andrew mm-hmm. tries to hold us back so that we, we don't rush ahead. So it's Andrew read this book as well. We're all reading it. Right, okay. And when you say all, all 12 yeah. of you. Well, no. <laughs> all the management. So, yeah, the management mm-hmm. team. So we've got four in the management team. We've got um, myself and Andrew and Ed's been with us for the longest yes. time. He's the lighting's director. And then Paula is operations director. And we, we're reading it. And then once you fully understand it and get it work, working for yourself, then you roll it out to the, to the rest of the team in terms of... Yeah. So, you, so you know what you're talking about before you tell them about it. Exactly. Well, Clan Gordon clearly upholds a high standard of service to its clients, both landlords and tenants. In fact, your company's won several awards. So tell us more about the awards you've won. Yeah, so the first award was the Herald Awards mm-hmm. um, in Glasgow. It's primarily, it seems to be about you know um, house builders winning awards for the best house or the best house builder, best customer service. But they introduced a lettings uh, team award and we won that in 2014, I think was the first time. And um, we've won that twice. We've won the Scottish Home Awards and we've won the Sunday Times Lightning Agent of the Year, which was a UK-wide one. And that was probably the, the one we're most proud of, where we went down to London and we were just completely amazed that they read out our name. Wow. And that one, and it, you know, you're meeting mm-hmm. quite um, significant celebrities, hand you your prize, and it feels pretty good. And then you feed that back to the team. The team are all mm-hmm. listening on on however we did it through a Twitter a feed or something, feed. a live feed, and and then we would celebrate that with um, with some sort of night out afterwards and just everybody gets a bit of a flavour of that. So it's all about the team and it's all about what they've achieved in in supporting landlords and tenants and looking after the properties. And then that, f- um, we survey our clients every year. Right. And the tenants and the landlords, and we get really good feedback on what, what they like and don't like, and then that fil- filters it mm-hmm. through to the awards that we win. Well, you were also finalist in the recent Scottish Home Awards for the category that Citylet sponsored, Residential Letting Team of the Year. How was the night? Yeah, it was great. Um, uh, they're always good fun, these awards. There's usually somebody yes. pretty entertaining who, who runs it, and then you get a chance to meet all the people that you know in lettings that yeah. are from the other good letting agents. And, you know, there are good letting agents throughout Scotland, and even... Um, the, the uh, Simple Letting in Inverness are usually at these awards mm-hmm. and you get to meet people that you've not seen for a while and talk about the industry and, and what's going on. And so a great privilege to be one of the um, finalists um, and, you know, we've won it before and hopefully we'll win it again, but congratulations to the to the guys that won it because, the, as I said, there are a number of good letting agents and it's good to showcase good practice. 
And just to finish um, podcast interview, so thank you for coming in, Jonathan. Oh, thank, you, thank you. But you owe me something. Because you were telling me beforehand no how you used to steal from your brother when we were talking about, before the podcast, we were talking about how your, um, your brother and yourself argued a lot and used to steal from him mainly sweets, which just made me remember that you stole, not a two-bar, a four-bar Kit Kat from me one time at lunchtime. You denied it. I knew you had taken it, but I actually thought you would have the decency to return it, and you ate it going up the stairs. Well, you I saw me people in front of me, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was Johnny Nisbet. No, you sure it, it wasn't was, the no, other Johnny? No, definitely you. He was there at the table, but you See, stole I was usually it and ate it, or he stole it, and then you ate it. Well, maybe, well, maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe I got him to steal so, it for me, because I was quite cunning. I think you owe so me a like, whole packet. Yeah. yeah, you thought you would get the blame, but you see, if somebody sees you eating... You know, the evidence, then you're Did they even have four bar Kit Kats? In no, they did, days. they did. did definitely they? owe me a How packet. could you afford a four bar Kit? That's quite, that's quite a lot to eat in one day. I probably stole money off someone else. Well, <laughs> yeah, <maybe. laughs> I, mean, I never had any money table. for lunch because I used to spend it on other stuff. <laughs> so I would probably just be hungry. So, anyway, next time you come along, feel free to bring the biscuits. I'll bring you a four bar Kit Kat, yes. maybe even a white chocolate. Uh, fancy four bar Kit Kat. Mm, that's good. Well, Cash like brought that. back um, green tea, white chocolate green tea Kit Kats from oh, Japan that last week. Fancy. So try and, try and top that, please. Okay, I'll bring them next time. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again. No, my pleasure too. Thank you. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk.